You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. This morning, I'm excited to be preaching to you guys today. And we're kind of in between these series. And I actually love doing messages like this because I will just open up the lectionary and I'll just see, Lord, what are the scriptures for this morning, right? What are the readings for the day? And, and a few weeks ago, as I started preparing for this, I started reading and immediately this reading just like leapt out at me and something inside of me leapt with, with this uh, anticipation of, Lord, maybe you've got something to say to us here. And so this is a reading from Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. Yeah, it gets dark quick when you're reading the prophets. I won't have as much to say about that this morning. You could read the rest of the chapter though. Um, Now, this is what I wanna call this morning the gospel according to Ezekiel. That is the, the good news as Ezekiel hears it. The good news as Ezekiel sees it, as it is revealed to him by God. And it was good news in his time, and it's good news today. Now, today, you might be interested to know, again, again, I pulled this from the lectionary. Today is the last Sunday of the Christian calendar. If you pay attention to such things, I I never grew up even being aware of this. And it's another subject that we don't have time for today, but I will say this. I think it's healthy and wise to have our lives directed according to the rhythms of something other than our Gregorian calendar or guided by something different than just the rhythms of the school year or the frenetic pace of life in 2023 and we're just like can't believe that it's about to be 2024. Having our lives guided by something different is healthy. But this means that next Sunday, as Reese mentioned, next Sunday is Advent um, and it's the first Sunday of the new year. This is where Christians begin. Christians are invited to begin the year in longing and expectation for the arrival of Christ. We begin with hunger. In our Advent series, as Reese mentioned, um, next week is gonna be called Kneeling Towards Bethlehem, Prayerful Expectation in the Advent Season. I strongly encourage you guys to be here for those. It's gonna be special and beautiful. Now, Advent, it means arrival. It means coming. And it's a season of preparing for the arrival of Christ, right? We don't just bump into Christmas out of nowhere, but we get ready for it in our hearts. It's a time to re-enter the story and to remember, 
Like, why did we need him to come in the first place? Why do we still need Christ to come into our lives today? Why is it that we anticipate his final and ultimate coming? And today we're going to take a look at Ezekiel's possible response to that question, which I think would be this, is that we need Christ to come like sheep need their shepherd to come. We need Christ to come in the same way that sheep need their shepherd to come. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as you called yourself our good shepherd, come. Even as we sit here this morning on the the very end of this year, about to step into this new year and the season of Advent, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This morning, would you, by your spirit, cause your scriptures to come alive to us? Let us see you in new light. Let us see ourselves in new light. And let us hear the good news, deeply hear the good news that you have for us today. Pray that your voice would speak much more loudly than my own. Amen. So as we think about sheep and shepherds, I think we've got to acknowledge this, like that we are all sheep and we all have shepherds. We're just sitting out in this sunny field, enjoying the sunlight. And here's the thing though, if you've you've grown up in church, if you've been raised in church, then you kind of, maybe you're a bit more comfortable with this metaphor. But if I'm honest, maybe like 90% of the time, this common metaphor of sheep and shepherd in the Bible, 90% of the time I really love it and it brings me comfort. And like 10% of the time, it really rubs across my grain and I'm not sure that I like it a whole lot. But here's the thing, we, we cannot escape the biblical metaphors. We don't get to just simply pick and choose like which ones we like and which ones we don't. So we can have mixed responses to them sometimes. And if we have a mixed response, then that might be an indication that it's time to sit with it for a while and wrestle with it. And when the Bible refers to God's people as sheep, we, we just must learn to accept that whether we like it or not. You know, it's interesting. If, if you try to find like a well-known quote that involves sheep, it's really hard to find them. At least from like American like people. We don't tend to love this. And and when you find them, they're not usually positive, right? Here's a few that I did find um, from Alexander the Great. I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion, right? Like it's it's better to be a lion than a sheep. Uh, Benito Mussolini, little fascism for the morning. It's better to live one day as a lion than a hundred years as a sheep. Again, the like sheep are getting the like dig here. I mean, we're like, well, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, from our side of the pond, uh, General George S. Patton. We herd sheep, we drive cattle, we lead people. Lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. He's like, I don't even want to be sheep. I don't even want to be cattle. I'm going to be the one driving them, right? Sheep are like even lower on the totem pole. 
or our own Ben Franklin, God bless him, make yourself sheep and the wolves will eat you, right? This is what we all like intuitively understand. Like, do I really want to be a sheep? I don't know. Yet here it is. And again, and again, and again in the Bible. If we are to enter into the reality that the Bible invites us into, then we must accept all of the truth that it tells us about ourselves, even when it rubs completely against the grain of our rugged American individualism. Right, like just think about this for a second, right? Nobody ever sold a can of beer or a carton of cigarettes in America with a sheep on the logo. Sheep don't sell what we want, right? No, for that, we, we need horses and bulls, right? We need eagles and lions, right? National symbol of America, an eagle. I'm free. No one is going to shepherd me. I'm the master of my own destiny, right? But the American myth is counter to spiritual reality, There's a book that I recently read it. I read it one time and I immediately looped around and read it twice. This has only ever happened to me twice in my life. Um, It's a book by Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. Um, If you are in a funky place in life or if you're ever just like not sure like what is the purpose of my existing in the world and things like this, you might be ready for this book. Um, But he says this, our problem as Americans, at least among my race and gender, right? He, He was a white male like me. So this is probably especially true of us. Our problem as Americans, at least among my race and gender, is that we resist the very idea of limits. Regarding limits of all sorts as temporary and regrettable impositions on our lives. Our national myth is about the endless defiance of limitations. I am not a sheep. I'll be a lion or a horse or better, the cowboy riding the horse. So this idea that we are sheep requires great humility. And I I think it's this, for me at least, is that I like the idea of God being a shepherd more than I like the idea of me being a sheep. But, But I cannot authentically pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, while all the while insisting that I'm a lion. So we're all sheep. And then second, this is related to it, and I think this is also why we dislike this metaphor by and large, is, is that we all have shepherds. Now note, I'm not just saying that we all need shepherds. I'm saying that part of what I think the Bible is trying to tell us with this metaphor over and over and over again is that someone will shepherd you. We all have shepherds. And I can hear you right now in your mind. You're like, no, no I, I determine my own fate, right? I make my own decisions. This is our resistance. We say like, I don't need a shepherd. I I make my own way. I fend for myself. Like I make up my own mind. But the truth is, is that there's, there's always, there's some power. There is some authority, more often some, some collective of powers and authorities that guides us, that, that influences us. Some, some power or authority that tells us like which pastures to eat in, that guides us to certain streams to drink from. 
And, and not all shepherds, this is to the point of Ezekiel this morning, not all shepherds, as it turns out, are benevolent. Like power is not benign. Whether, whether it's from our, from our family of origin to governmental powers on the highest level, if, whether it's from our church culture to the media that constantly streams through our screens, if we're wise enough, we will acknowledge that, that we do indeed have many shepherds. And like, maybe that's okay as far as it goes, right? Like God's even, God even allows certain things and people in our lives that they shape us, they make us who we are. It's okay as far as it goes, but as God's people, as we'll see, have always had a contentious relationship with earthly shepherds. Because, surprise of surprises, God wants to be our only shepherd. So here's what happens. We're, we're in this like bright and sunny day. But then Ezekiel refers to this moment that he calls that dark and cloudy day. That dark and cloudy day. So picture the scene. A shepherd's out in the wilderness with his sheep. They're peacefully meandering about and grazing. And then a storm blows in. And they're spooked. It, it sweeps up unexpectedly over the hills. Sky goes black with clouds. Wind picks up. Rain pours down like this damage is broken. Lightning flashes all around. Thunder's rumbling, shaking the ground. And as you might expect, the sheep are just, they're overwhelmed. They, they bolt in fear. They're, they're running each in a different direction, hoping to somehow escape the storm, but they can't and they don't. And this is a situation that Ezekiel is actually speaking to. So what, what is he referring to about that dark and cloudy day? What's he talking about? When was it? What happened? I'll tell you when it was. It was a literal day in 597 BC. Some experts think it was like sometime mid-March, right? 597 BC was the beginning of what is called the Babylonian exile. Now, if you're not familiar with this, the Babylonian exile ended up being a 70-year period in which a large number of 10,000 or more, not the entire population, but a huge chunk of, of the population of Israelites from the kingdom of Judah were deported into Babylon. Babylon, as the reigning superpower of the day, came in, conquered them, and deported them. And this is a tremendously huge fixture in Jewish history and identity. And Ezekiel had the unfortunate good luck of being alive at this time. The deportation overlaps with his ministry as a prophet. And what's interesting to note, if you were to go, we'll read a couple verses from it, but if you go and if you read the rest of Ezekiel chapter 34, um, and, and among other prophets, you'll find this in them as well, is, is that the cause of the, the Babylonian exile is named. They're beginning to put their finger on like, well, why did this happen? And if I was to sum it up in two words, Ezekiel points out that it's about oppressive shepherds. This dark and stormy day, the exile happened because of oppressive shepherds. God's people were sent into exile on account of their selfish and brutal leaders. Now, if you, again, if you don't know a whole lot about Israel history, you might be like, well, yeah, that kind of stinks. But here's the thing. Israel, in the beginning, God was like, look, I'm, I'm going to rule you guys right? I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be the shepherd. I will be your leader. And they're like, no, we want a human leader, right? 
God's like, no, I think you really don't. And they're like, yeah, I think we really do. And they kind of went back and forth for a while. God finally relents. He's like, okay, but tell you what, you're going to regret it, right? This isn't going to go well because like human leaders are still just human beings, right? He's like, it's going to go sideways. It's not going to be as great and as glorious as you think that it is because they're still just humans. They're going to mess up and you're all going to pay the price for it. But God allowed them. They raised up these human leaders. They gave them power. They trusted in them. And thus they made themselves vulnerable. Because this is just what happens with human powers. It's just part and parcel. And so chapter 34 begins with with a prophecy against these religious and political leaders of Israel. Now note this. Um, They are political leaders, right? Right? They're the ones that actually have political power from the king all the way down to like local governors and mayors, if they call them that or whatever. He's also though referring to religious leaders, which I gotta say, just as a religious professional, I always read passages like this with a bit of trepidation. Even even this week as I was preparing this, I'm like, God, I really don't wanna read this out loud. (laughs) You know, like... Because I am aware that I too am just a human being. I can look back on my past and I can see ways in which, oh, this stings a bit too much. There's ways in which I just know myself now and I'm like, oh God, help me. Help me. But nevertheless, this is his prophecy against the the political and religious leaders of Israel. In verse one, he says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered, like in the storm, right? They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. The Lord is calling out these shepherds for their selfish oppression of the people. These shepherds of Israel took advantage of the flock rather than taking care of the flock. They raised their own standard of living. They didn't help the weak or heal the sick. They didn't bring back the strays or search for the lost. A few verses later in verse 10, they're actually pictured as feeding on the flock. Some like mutton chops. Thanks, Dad. God's scathing summary of them, right before the passage we read, the scathing summary of them is this, you ruled them harshly and brutally. You ruled them harshly and brutally. And needless to say, God is not happy about this. So what's God to do? What is God to do? Where is the good news? Where is the gospel? He says, he will come and he will deal with them, these oppressive, harsh, and brutal leaders, and he will show them what a real shepherd looks like. 
God as the great shepherd will return his people to renewed, safe pastures. And he's gonna give them three things. First, God is going to bring his people rescue. He's going to bring them rescue. Listen to what he says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. He's gonna deliver his people from exile. He's gonna deliver them from these exploitive shepherds who got them there in the first place. In his strength and in his mercy, he is gonna do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Note here, the gospel is not, well, get up and get yourself out of trouble. The gospel is, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's Psalm 121. The gospel says, look, your rescuer is coming. God is gonna give them nourishment, like in lush pasture land. This is not like scrub brush in like inland South Carolina, right? All the South Carolinians were like, hey, you know it's true. You've driven through your state. <laughs> in a better and more permanent promised land than they've ever known. They're like, we thought we had it good, right? Didn't we? He's like, you're gonna have it even better. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. There's human flourishing happening here. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. He's gonna give them rescue. He's gonna give them nourishment and God will make them rest from their toil and their fear. He's gonna give them rest. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. Some translations here, it's interesting, actually say, uh, I will make them lie down. I will make them lie down. Like Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes we need to be made to lie down, to stop, to truly and deeply rest, to just give our humanness a break for a minute. Because stopping is hard. <clears throat> Had an accidental conversation about this right before the service today. Stopping is hard. It, it's against our nature. It's against our upbringing. So we must be made to stop. If we cannot hit the brakes, God is willing to hit them for us in his grace. Uh, there's a guy named Wayne Muller, and in his book that is simply titled Sabbath, he writes this. We stop because there are forces larger than we that take care of the universe. And while our efforts are important, necessary, and useful, they are not, nor are we, indispensable. 
the galaxy will somehow manage without us for this hour, this day. And so we are invited, nay, commanded to relax and enjoy our relative unimportance. Our humble place at the table in a very large world. The wisdom embedded in creation will take care of things for a while. God brings rescue and nourishment and rest. And let me just say this. I'm cognizant right now in the room that some of you are already thinking of like 20 things that you have to do after church today. There's presents to buy. There's Christmas decorations to put up. There's meal prep to happen. There's parties to plan. God's invitation or as Mueller would say, nay, his command still stands. We must stop and rest. Let us receive that gift of rest that he wants to offer us. We can refuse it. We can refuse the rescue. We can stay hanging out in Babylon if we want. We can refuse the nourishment. We can be like, thanks for that patch of grass. I'm gonna eat the South Carolina scrub over here instead. All the South Carolina jokes are unscripted. I'm sorry. It's just, it's what happens when you talk out loud. We can refuse the rest. We can keep ourselves as busy as we want. But he invites us. Now back to Advent. What on earth does all of this have to do with the coming of Jesus? Great question. Ezekiel leads us there towards the end of the chapter. Down in verses 23 and 24. He says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. The Lord will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the way. That's the Mandalorian version. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Ezekiel is not literally talking about David, okay? He says David. He's not literally talking about David because it's impossible, right? First, Ezekiel's recorded ministry was between 592 and 570 BC, while David lived from 1035 to 970 BC, like 400 years earlier, okay? So if you get these out of order, it's like, oh, then David's gonna come. Well, David already came and he died right? And a bunch of his kids and grandkids and great-great-grandkids after them were part of this problem that got them into Babylonian exile. There we go, right? So he's not literally talking about David. What Ezekiel means is that this shepherd who is coming will be a new king in the line of David, the great shepherd king, of whom Jesus of Nazareth was an actual descendant, as we will begin celebrating next Sunday, right? But not only that, beyond mere physical ancestry, Jesus would reign as a king like David, only his would be an unending kingdom. No opposing shepherds are going to dethrone him anymore. And just as David was a shepherd over his father's flocks, so would Jesus be a shepherd over his father's. I 
I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Church, hear the gospel according to Ezekiel. We need Christ to come like sheep need their shepherd to come. We need rescue. We need nourishment. We need rest. Let me invite you for a moment. If you would like to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. Unless closing your eyes in church is weird. Take stock of your own being right now. How you are in your body, how you are in your mind, how you are in your heart how you are in your relationships with other people. And just hold these three questions before the Lord. My my gut is, is that probably one of these is gonna hit you. So if one of these seems most significant, like linger on that one for these next couple minutes and even on into worship. First question is this. From what oppressive shepherds do you need to be rescued? You have shepherds. There are individuals, there are collectives, there are forces and powers and authorities that have influence over your life and your thoughts and your way of being in the world. Which ones do you need to be rescued from? Just just note what pops into your mind. Not not judging it. You don't have to make excuses for me or for anybody else. Just name it. But who have you followed? Who have you trusted in? Like hoping for the best, but only ending up feeling like you're living in exile. Who's bringing you to this place of fear, this dark and stormy day where you just, You run for the hills out of fear. Maybe just naming those before the Lord and saying, yes, Jesus, good shepherd, come and rescue me. Second question, how might you be malnourished today? How might you be malnourished physically? This is why we do food pantries. This is why we pack all these meals because we know there are people that are physically malnourished. Thanks be to God that we have the ability to do that. But how are you malnourished physically or spiritually, emotionally or relationally? Bad shepherds will always leave you malnourished. They will always take more than they give. Ask God to come and feed you in lush pasture land. And third, how can you allow God to make you lie down and rest? In what ways or in what situations perhaps in your life do you know, I just need to yield? God is trying to make me lie down and I'm not allowing him to. What might you let go of in order to receive the rest that God has for you. Let him make you lie down in green pastures.
Why don't you stand with me? As we worship together, I encourage you to bring whatever the Lord has stirred in your heart in response to those questions or through these scriptures. Like, bring those with you into his presence as we worship. Jesus, we come and we exalt your name now in song because you are the good shepherd. Lord, you are our king. You are the one that we want to give final and total ultimate authority in our lives. We come to you, though, as just normal human people who have so many other shepherds who have influenced us, who guide us, who nudge us this way and that way, who bump us to the left and to the right. And Jesus, we say to you, we want you alone. We yield to you as our good shepherd. Rescue us. Lord, feed our hungry souls and minds and bodies. Teach us to rest as we trust in you. Amen.